So let me begin this, begin this morning by thanking our lay leader, Glaffy Carr, for preaching and leading worship last week while I was on vacation. Thank you so much, Glaffy. It is really good to have someone who's willing to do this within our own congregation, and I know that her words were a blessing to all of you. And thank you for your support and encouragement as well. Um, we had a wonderful time. Um, we driving through the green countryside of Sonoma County and stopping here and there was just lovely. And um, I came home relaxed and refreshed many, ready to move forward. And so, without further ado, let us do that. And I would invite you to join me in resuming our look at our church's new vision statement, which you'll find in your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to, again, read it aloud with me. It's on the, right at the top of your bulletin. Let us read together. Following the example of Jesus Christ, El Segundo United Methodist Church seeks to be a community of faith that embodies the love of God by reaching out and welcoming all, especially those on the margins of society, by creating a safe space in which all are supported on their faith journey, and by serving the needs of the community and beyond. Following the example of Jesus Christ, El Segundo United Methodist Church seeks to be a community of faith. You ever thought about what that means to be a community of faith? Have you ever thought about what it means to be a community for that matter? Now, at first glance, this seems pretty straightforward. Um, I look things up in the dictionary, and one dictionary defines community as a group of people living in the same place and having a particular characteristic in common. Another dictionary describes community as a unified body of individuals. Obviously, those definitions apply to many different kinds of groups, including the group of people who live in El Segundo, California. So it might be more helpful to think about what kind of group we are not. El Segundo United Methodist Church is not, for example, a social club, though we certainly socialize with each other. We are not a political party, though politics sometimes affects our common life. We are not a charity, though charitable giving is one activity in which we engage. We are not, are not a business, though we do have to conduct some business activity. Our church is not a support group, though we encourage and strengthen one another. We are not a book club or a school, though learning is valued. We're not a welfare agency, though we extend aid to those in need. We are not any of those things. And indeed, many of the groups that I just mentioned bring together people who want to participate in a particular activity. Well, we too are brought together, but not quite in the same way. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is most often translated as church is ecclesia. Generally speaking, an ecclesia is a group of people who have been called out from their homes to a public meeting, such as a worship service. And I would suggest that ecclesia might also refer to a group of people who have been called out of their ordinary lives into a community whose members are in a relationship with the God who came to us in Jesus Christ, and through that relationship with one another. Or to put it another way, a community of faith is made up of people who have found hope and put their trust in the love of God that they know through Jesus Christ. That being said, 
Such a community is hardly homogenous. Gather us in, a hymn that you'll find in the faith we sing, describes the many kinds of people who come together in the ecclesia we know as church. And it says this, the people that who come are the lost and forsaken, the blind and the lame, the young and old, the rich and the haughty, the proud and the strong. Gather us in, the last verse says. Gather us in, all peoples together, fire of love in our flesh and our bones the love of God. That last line speaks to me very much of what it means to be a community of faith, of the nature of such a community, because it tells me that such a community is tangible. It is authentic. It manifests itself in our flesh and our bones in such a way that both those within the community and those outside of it can see and recognize that it is true, that it is genuine, that it is what it claims to be. The second chapter of Acts offers us a picture of just such a community. Following the coming of the Holy Spirit to the disciples on Pentecost, a huge number of people in Jerusalem were drawn to Christ and baptized. They formed a community characterized by several distinct practices some of which grew out of the Jewish faith from which the people came, and some of which were uniquely Christian. These practices are outlined in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I want to look at these one at a time. First of all, Acts tells us that this community devoted themselves that there was nothing casual about the participation of these new Christians. On the contrary, they committed themselves, heart and soul, to their new faith and to the gathering of those who shared it, giving time and energy to the practices that sustained them. And to what did they devote themselves? First of all, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. As Jesus had taught them, so now the apostles, his disciples, taught others who sought to be in a relationship with him. Remember that there were no writings at this point. The only way that these new converts could learn about Jesus' life and teachings, his death and resurrection, the only way that they could grow in their faith was to listen and to and learn from those who had listened to and learned from Jesus. What a joy that must have been. And this is true of us as well. While we aren't able to have that same experience, we have been given the gift of the Bible. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to be an authentic community of Christians, we must engage in learning. It was not an optional activity for those first Christians, and it is not an optional activity for us. And I speak to myself here as well as to you. I suspect that each of the apostles shared their own unique understanding of Jesus, understandings that may not always have agreed. Likewise, the Bible is a living document open to many interpretations, but that should not stop us from reading it. We need to trust that the Spirit will guide us as we read and reflect on Scripture, just as those first Christians trusted in the Spirit-led witness of the apostles. Those first Christians also devoted themselves to fellowship. 
The Greek word here is koinonia, the root of which is another word that means common. Koinonia describes a relationship of deep sharing and mutuality, a relationship that was crucial to the early church. Not only did the practice of hospitality become increasingly important as their numbers grew, but because this community was a minority group within their culture, they needed one another's support. That support extended to physical and financial needs as well. We are told that this group held all things in common and that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Clearly, those who were part of this community felt a great responsibility to care for one another. There's no doubt in my mind that the fellowship that we share here is important to us as well. This passage, however, encourages us to strengthen our practice of hospitality and to examine how we make use of our resources. It also encourages us to find within us the faith to share readily not only our resources, but also to trust one another enough to express our needs without shame. While the practice of holding goods in common is not described in other New Testament texts, and while we are unlikely to engage in such a practice, that's okay, Scott Schauf suggests that where God is especially at work and where God's presence is especially experienced, such giving and sharing is the natural Christian response. And it is a joy. The joy of fellowship is also seen in the third characteristic of this community of faith, the breaking of bread. Now, scholars are not clear here if this is a reference to ordinary meals or to the ritual that we know as Holy Communion. Perhaps it is both. Either way, eating together certainly strengthen, surely and certainly strengthen the fellowship of this community and help them to get to know one another and each other's needs. Indeed, we are told that they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. The phrase breaking of the bread also sends us back to Luke 24. Luke was also written by the same author as Acts. And in that chapter, there's a story of an encounter with the risen Christ in which he was made known in the breaking of the bread. The implication would seem to be that when we share a meal, whether it be communion or a potluck, we are in the presence of Christ. Finally, Acts tells us that these first Christians devoted themselves to the prayers. While this wording implies that they participated in set prayers, most likely in the Jerusalem temple, it also points to the value of prayer in the life of any community of faith. Most of us would agree, all of us would agree, that prayer is crucial and critical in worship. But beyond a cursory opening prayer, we often ignore the need for ongoing prayer in our gatherings, whether they be classes or meetings or times of fellowship. Yet when we pray, we come closer together. When we pray, we open ourselves to the work of the Spirit. When we pray, our faith grows stronger. Prayer is essential to the community of faith. The practices of learning, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers were the hallmarks of the early church, and they remain the hallmarks of an authentic community of faith today. 
Yet as beautiful as it is, this picture of the early church seems so idealistic as to be beyond our reach. And I certainly understand if you are feeling a bit inferior right now. How could you not? <laughs> My intention, however, is not to sing the praises of the early church in order to put ours down. And so lest you feel overwhelmed, I want you to know that this first community was far from perfect. In fact, Act tells us stories of very real conflict within this group. Not everyone agreed with the idea of giving up their personal property, and there were complaints that some were neglected during the daily distribution of food. And then there was the question of whether or not non-Jews, Gentiles, should be allowed to become part of the community of faith. An issue so controversial was only resolved by the gathering of a formal council of leaders. Notice, too, that our own vision statement says that we seek to be a community of faith. Living into our communal life does not happen automatically just because we show up at church, just because we call ourselves a church. It is an ongoing venture that takes practice, patience, and persistence. A venture that, thanks be to God, we do not undertake by ourselves. The forming of the original community of faith was the work of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit works in and among us as well. Indeed, we cannot truly become a community of faith on our own. In the words of Matt Skinner, the virtues of justice, worship, and mutuality are not accomplishments of extraordinary folk. They are signs of the spirit within a community of people who understand themselves united in purpose and identity not a dispersed collection of individual churchgoers. Only the power of the Spirit working within us can transform the way that we live together and form us into a community that is, as Skinner says, united in purpose and identity. Only the power of the Spirit can help us to focus less on our own security and more on hospitality and generosity. Only the power of the Spirit can help us to focus our priorities and realign our ministries so that we are able to live into the next part of our vision statement, which is to embody the love of God. The Spirit is what makes the difference. Now, this is not to say that we can sit back and just let God do the work. Far from it. In order to come even close to the community of faith that we see in Acts, we must be willing to see each other as brothers and sisters whom we love and who share a common purpose with us. We need to encourage one another to build each other up, to learn together, fellowship together, to share meals and prayer together, perhaps by participating in our Lenten tables of faith. A little commercial there. We must also think about the message that we are sending to those who live and work around us. How might we better reflect God's grace and the living presence of Christ among us to others? How might we minister to others not to gain more members, so that, but so that others will come to know the joy of God's love in Christ? These are all questions we need to think about. But perhaps more than that, Perhaps most of all, we need to pray, to ask that love be among us, for the Spirit to guide and strengthen us, and for God to give us to be the church, the beloved community of faith. And so I invite you now to join me in a hymn of prayer, 
As we sing together, number 549 in the red hymnal, it's called Where Charity and Love Prevail, and we are singing all the verses because they're all important to what we are doing here. Let us pray and sing together. <laughs> 